We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Insights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? I'm only mildly delirious. I haven't had any coffee, and my blood and the air are about the same temperature, so we'll see how this goes. That's fun. We <laughs> We had a chance to talk with a bunch of you guys this week. Um, I had fun watching you and a uh, friend of the show, Kate Renabaum, argue about Itumama Tembien. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. I've, I've just never been a convert. I don't know why. <laughs> well, I'd say I do, and it's not fair, but it simply is. Sorry. Sorry, Quaran. You'll just have to be great the rest of the time. Um, uh, let's see. That happened. Uh, that that sparked out of a conversation about Maribel Verdu, who is awesome, and I enjoyed watching, discovering her that it was her in Pan's Labyrinth, as opposed to you know I didn't recognize her the first time I saw it. Talked with Aaron and Alana about Pan's Labyrinth as well. Kyle, thank you very much for your printer help. Uh, that got that situation locked down, and you were very helpful with that. Uh, Ken and I talked some tap dance this week, which led to a just a YouTube spiral of awesome leading me from Fred and Ginger to uh to to Gene Kelly dancing in roller skates like le- legit tap dancing in roller skates to the Nicholas brothers being amazing in Stormy Weather. I need to see Stormy Weather. I feel like I've seen like four or five different clips from its sequences and they're all amazing. So, have you have you seen Stormy Weather? No, I have not. Oh man, Lena Horne singing Stormy Weather amazing. This film has those two sequences. That's all I need to know. I need I need to catch mm-hmm. up with that one. Um, and thank you, Reverb Mike, for backing me up with Ken. That was much appreciated. Um, talk so much ado about nothing with Blaine and Alana. Blaine loved it. He did get to see it. Alana, I haven't heard whether or not you were able to. And Kyle's afraid of black and white Shakespeare. And I guess I understand that. Mm. Mm. Shakespeare's not for everybody. Yeah, I guess. But, you know, come on. <laughs> Keith loves hot in Cleveland so that did win the make Kate watch stuff poll this week so we'll be talking about that later Blaine also uh, dropped me a line about the time tunnel reboot that pilots up on, on YouTube which was interesting to watch certainly and, and Mario wanted to know how he's going to get Nomi back to me and and Mario you're, you're stuck with Nomi you, you have to hold on to Nomi until we have the next amazing race season starting up so enjoy can we all agree to call him Klaus Nomi? Klaus Nomi? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Wait, does that does that mean anything to you? No. Or you okay, Should you can it? look that up. You can look him up later and okay. just be blown away. Okay, interesting. I have no idea what to expect from that. But yes, I will uh, give you the information uh, as needed to get that back to get um, him, I guess, back to back to me before the next season starts. But for now, enjoy your new lawn ornament and. Please don't break him. That's all I got. Or room ornament. You or know, room. Ornament or, of, you know, mantle. Your choice. Uh, he should be you know, in a place of pride. 
It's yes. the it's the Televerse traveling gnome for having won the Amazing Race pool last year. It's a that's true. Exciting. Did you know there's there's about to be an Amazing Race Canada? Interesting. Okay, that should be fun. Are you gonna yeah, watch it? I don't know. I don't really know what the difference is gonna be, except Canadian contestants, or are they only going to be traveling Canada because we have a lower budget? I feel like that could be fascinating. I really think they should do an international season of Amazing Race where they have people from different countries that yeah see that seems somewhat indicative. You know, obviously Canada is a very large country. The United States is a large country. You're not gonna have two people who represent the entire country, but I feel like that could be really interesting. Yes, it could. Anyways, Mario also uh, votes for Million Dollar Listening New York to be added to the poll for next week. Uh, Depine wants to know when we're going to have, does somebody have to go? Does someone have to go? Sorry, that terrible reality show in, in amongst the options. And uh, I have no idea what that is. Yeah, Depine, we're not, as long as I get to <laughs> choose what the options are, because you know, you might make that win, and then I'd have to watch it. So, no thank you. <laughs> um, the other thing I do want to mention is that Comic-Con is coming up. Uh, we're under a month away, about three weeks away. And uh, so I will be heading out to San Diego for that. We'll have some Comic-Con preview talk in a couple weeks. So we'll uh, looking at all the different TV shows that are going to be, you know, having booths and, and having a presence at Comic-Con. I do want to mention, and I'll mention this for the next few weeks, that uh, I, I don't know that we have enough Televerse listeners in San Diego to have a full-on meetup. So I'm just kind of glomming on to the Battleship Pretension and Warner cast and Criterion cast one. there. It's That's going to be on Thursday at Dublin Square Pub, and uh, it's called Dial-M for Meetup, and those guys are awesome. And I assume if you listen to our podcast, you are at the very least familiar with friends of the show, David Bax and Tyler Smith from Battleship Pretension, both of whom have been on several times on the podcast. Um, so... If you're going to be in San Diego for Comic-Con, I would love to meet up with you guys. Um, show up for Dial-M for Meetup. Uh, drop me a line. We'll figure something out. One of these years. No, no, never mind. Not one of these years. You're never going to Comic-Con, are you? Uh, I might come to San Diego one year when I'm not so po, but um, <laughs> uh, no, I'm never going to Comic-Con. <laughs> Um, at the end of the show, we will be talking Hannibal Season 1 with, our, of course, our fearless leader, Ricky D from Sound on Sight. Also, this week at Sound on Sight, it's, I mean, it's still Pilots Month, so we have pilot reviews galore up at Sound on Sight. Currently, I believe I have seven up. Uh, Cosby Show, Taxi, The Dick Van Dyke Show, Alias, Battlestar Galactica, the, the rebooted series, Game of Thrones, and Star Trek. And there are more coming. Uh, didn't, but, but didn't you do all three Star Trek pilots? Yes, I did. I thought was was interesting to me individually as a pilot. I don't find I don't I would never say that the Star Trek pilot any of them is one of the greatest pilots. Certainly not. But I do think it's really interesting because we do have access to basically three different pilots. Uh, you know, for Star Trek, to the, the original pilot, the remade pilot, and then the episode that they decided should air first, which is very different. Then there's even their second pilot. So I, I think that actually watching the progression of the show that's become such a phenomenon from its original pilot, which is nothing like that, really, other than it's set on the Enterprise, to what eventually was audience's first introduction to the world of Star Trek. I think it's really interesting. So so yeah, I, I all my other pilot reviews are about 
I don't know, 500 to 700 words. That Star Trek one is over 2,000. Sweet Lord. <laughs> I started writing it at about, uh, you know, 1030 at night. I was like, okay, I can just finish up the Star Trek review and then I'll go to bed. And about 2.30 in the morning, I had finished posting pictures and everything. It, uh, yeah, that was fun. It was a fun one. You're going to have a couple pilot reviews for us later in the month, but... The other thing we should mention about Sound on Sight is Tiff is coming up, and as previously stated, you're not the only one. We po. So if you would like to support uh, Sound on Sight's coverage of Tiff, we would very much appreciate it. We are fundraising for that. Uh, we are trying. We are seeking donations. So if you have some extra cash and you would like to support us, having as best of coverage as we can for you guys from from the Toronto International Film Festival. Um, there are certain prize levels. Simon, would you tell us about the fabulous prizes, rewards for our listeners who choose to donate? Anyone who donates under 20 will will, uh, will try to mention you on the podcast, but anyone who, who donates between 20 and 50 will definitely get a shout out on the podcast, uh, as well as the chance, if you like, to program uh, one film for us to review at some point on the Sound Insight podcast or Sorted Cinema, wherever whatever purview that ends up falling under. I also co-host both of those podcasts. Or Masterpiece Cinema, for those who are, are more Disney-inclined. Yes. For anyone who decides to donate 100 bucks or more, um, you will get a horizontal banner ad on soundonsite.org, as well as a month-long ad mention on the podcast for your small business or cause of choice, or really anything. You can throw anything in there. It's up to you. Um, 200 or more, God help you. Uh, anyone willing to, to donate 200 or more will be invited to co-host one of our podcasts, if you like. That actually doesn't include the Televerse, but it does include Sound on Sight, Sorted Cinema, Masterpiece Cinema, or Almost Art House. That's a Ty and Tom show. You'll also have the choice of selecting one film to review and or promote your small business, as with the other option. So yes, those are those are the prizes. And of course, if you don't want to do any of those things but still want to give us money, you're more than welcome to do that. <laughs> well, and it's just it's a way for us to, to try to break even on something like TIFF because, you know, as we should mention more frequently, we're all volunteers at Sound On Site. And uh, so nobody's getting paid for, for their work. Uh, we try no. to make sure that the website breaks even. That's the ads on the website for now mostly have us breaking even. But when you have something like the Toronto Initial Film Festival, where they keep raising ticket rates, um, we do not get press passes. I think maybe there's one. For Tiff? Yeah, we, 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 we're not sure what we're getting this year. We'll, we'll probably get one pass. I don't think I'm going to take it this year. I'm going to let someone else have it. But, um, but yeah. But there's an insane number of films. You can't cover that with one pass. Yeah, there's like over, there's going to be hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of films and lots of people who, attending. And yeah, there's no way we're going to all be covered or even most of us or even more than one or two of us. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also keep in mind the podcast themselves uh, yes. aren't, aren't free to produce and and upload, et cetera, et cetera. So all the, all them be costing. Feel, you know, we try not to solicit donations frequently, but this is our time of the year that we are, are going to request that. If you have some extra cash, you can check out the website and there there's PayPal links there and uh, we would very much appreciate it. But we should, uh, we should move on to our Week in TV. Before we dive into the Week in TV, though, it, it would be remiss if we did not at least mention... Of course, in this past week, there have been several notable deaths that, that would tie into the television landscape. Of course, uh, Gary David Goldberg, the creator of Family Ties and Spin City and many other things, uh, passed away this past week, as did Richard Matheson, who's a 
renowned sci-fi author. You, if if you're not a sci-fi fan, you may not um, know his name, but he wrote things like The Box and Nightmare on at Twenty Thousand Feet for for um, the Twilight Zone. Not to mention Duel, which we reviewed on on the podcast, Trilogy of Terror, which we will eventually review because I watched it and it's scary. So I can't have watched it for no reason. Yeah. Uh, I Am Legend, of course. Yeah, many, many other things. Um, He passed away this past week, as did James Gandolfini, of course, uh, The Sopranos, and so much more. Um, Any thoughts? Uh, it it just all sucks, really. I mean, I don't have any profound thoughts other than that. Um, Gandolfini was a giant. Uh, he, without him, TV acting, you know, especially and and also TV writing in a sense uh, won't wouldn't be the same. I mean, any whether or not you you're a fan of you know the 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 development of the TV antihero, you know, he wrote the rule book on that through his performance on the Sopranos and he was so great on so many other things too. And he, uh, he will, he's already been incredibly missed. I mean, it's, it it was remarkable and other people have noted this already, the absolute absence of snark when he, when he passed, it was just everyone totally agreeing that this completely sucked. Yeah. I just looking at, uh, reactions on Twitter. I, I followed some, some links and found out about this, this film he was he was looking at for a TV movie I think with HBO written by um, Pat Healy. I was reading the the plot synopsis of you know the story of what that was going to be and it just was so amazing and I can't believe I'm not going to get to see that now. I was watching In the Loop um, earlier this this past weekend and it's just I I think it still hasn't quite hit me that I'm not going to get to see any more Gandolfini performances. Such a such a ridiculously versatile and incredibly talented actor, and I, I as we will get to later in the show, I am very tired of most of the male antiheroes that have sort of followed on from from Tony Soprano, and we'll talk specifically about Don Draper, but Walter White, I'm also very tired of, and that's not a black mark against the the actors so much as me being tired with the the writing, but I never suffered that kind of fatigue. With Tony Soprano, I stayed fully engaged in that character, even when the show got so repetitious. I was like, I get it. He's not going to change. But Gandolfini's performance is so amazing that I was, I never (laughs) could leave the show. I never checked out of it emotionally. I never stopped caring about Tony Soprano. And that's that's just such a testament to his work as an actor outside of everything else he did with things like his his uh, the documentary that that he produced, Alive Day Memories, and so so much more of his work. He just apparently was nothing but the most amazing guy in real life, aside from all of his amazing work in in film and television. But he will certainly be missed. Yes. And I also clearly really need to see uh, Not Fade Away, the film he did with David Chase. I need to see where the wild things are because if there's a single one of his performances that I, I feel like would be the most comforting right now, it's probably that one. Oh man, that's going to make me really sad the next time I watch that. <laughs> but um, we we do have a lot of, uh, of shows and a lot of television to, to talk about this week, so um, we are going to leave it there. There have been many really wonderful, heartfelt tributes to Gandolfini online and I'm sure podcasts as well. Um, but we're we're going to try to keep it brief. So let's move on and take a break and listen to a clip and come back and talk about the, the week in comedy. 
I thought you'd like this spot. DC's current go-to place for these off-the-record meets. Mm, good choice. Under the radar, as we used to say in the military. Yeah, yeah, I think other people say that too. No, it is about loyalty to the truth and to the American people. Furlong and Doyle have turned their guns on the president. Mm -hmm. That's the worst kind of friendly fire. The unfriendly kind. Yeah, oh, uh, Danny, I just want to let you know, uh, one of your anecdotes may have accidentally made its way into a deep speech via me. And I really appreciate it if you could just let this one slide. Selena's a plagiarist? It's perfect. You just handed me a silver bullet, and as you know, I'm a good shot. Uh, I might, uh, I might back away, though, from calling her a liar. You know, after all, you didn't really meet anyone named Juanita who said that, so... No, I did. As I recall, it went something like, uh, Mr. Ching, I come to America to work, I send money home, but life here is so hard for me. <laughs> I didn't know you did voices. This week for our week in comedy, we have Make Kate Watch the Hot in Cleveland mid-season premiere, which is their live episode. It's alive. Uh, as well, uh, you've caught up with Nathan for you. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, Inside Amy Schumer, Clown Panties, the Wilfred premiere, Uncertainty and Comfort, the Veep finale, DC, Family Tree, Civil War, Venture Brothers, uh, Spinacopita, and... Uh, and then I'm also gonna we'll also put the reality segment in with here with comedies. So you think you can dance had their top twenty revealed this week. Um I guess I'll start with uh Make Kate Watch Hot in Cleveland. Did you did you check this one out or did you uh duck no, out of it? Uh, and and listeners, you guys are weird, but continue. <laughs> I was expecting the listeners to want me to, to watch Zero Hour, but Hot in Cleveland squeaked squeaked out the win. And um I gotta say, I, I thought the guest appearances were fun. I've never seen Hot in Cleveland before. The premise is really straightforward. Um, Valerie Bertinelli and Jane Leaves and Wendy Malick move from L.A. because they feel like they're too old there, but and nobody's paying attention to them. But in Cleveland, they're still hot. And Betty White is there as as the as the fourth member of that group. Um, yeah, it's. I didn't laugh once watching this. I did uh, have uh, oh, oh, that's cute. A few times, I, I liked their guest cast. Bringing in Shatner at the end as as Sally from from Cincinnati was uh, was a lot of fun, and he, I feel like that he really made that whole last bit of the episode work. Um, I'm sure if you have a, a closer relationship with the show and the characters, this episode was far more successful. Um, they were clearly also trying to to welcome new viewers in with the writing. You, you know, they made sure that it wasn't too inside baseball. Um, and it's always fun to see live episodes, I think. But I just think this, this show is not necessarily for me. I think I have, uh, I, I think I'm traditional sitcom out, as it were. Um, so as much as I love this cast, I really do enjoy them. I, I'd rather see something with a little bit more bite and edge. And I don't think TV Land is necessarily the network. The place for that, yeah. Yeah, that, that wants to do that, so... But I mean, I wasn't groaning. I, I, you know, I wasn't I didn't have particularly negative experience. It just didn't really engage me as much as I might have hoped. Um, so I think I'll if I'm going to watch some Betty White, I'll go back and I'll watch the Mary Tyler Moore show and get my fix there. But um, that's hot in Cleveland. You caught up with some Nathan for you. I did because uh, I, you know, we're, we're it's going to be list making time halfway through the year quite soon, which has us very stressed out here. When we decided to cop out a little bit, but we'll get there later when, when we get there. Anyway, and I, I'd heard a lot of people been be, were quite enthused about Nathan for You, which I knew nothing about. Uh, so I decided I would check out the first season. Uh, it stars Nathan Fielder, you know, another Canadian taking over American airwaves. 
Uh, also, probably the only time uh, this hour has 22 minutes alum has gone successfully into US TV, which is really interesting. Um, then, no, I, 90% of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, uh, <laughs> continuing on. Uh, so it's it's essentially a, a quasi reality comedy series in which uh, in in which Fielder goes out and tries to help struggling businesses. Some of them don't seem to be struggling at all, but whatever. Um, and so, sort of try to revolutionize their business with his uh, with his savvy business thinking. Uh, he he talks about how he graduated from a Canadian university business school with really good grades, and if you, <laughs> his grades as as displayed in the intro are like. B minus C plus B. Anyway, what it's a it's it's a silly gag, but I appreciate it, and I, I like that every episode is a little bit different, and uh, you know, his his uh, there's a decent variety to the sort of things that he asks businesses to do. I love the John Benjamin appearance in the first episode, uh, and I like that sometimes he'll just throw out the entire premise by doing something like like the uh, claw of shame in episode seven, which. I will say that was fairly unlike anything else I've seen on TV this year, regardless of how much of it was, you know, real or staged. I really don't care. Uh, there's some evidence, uh, you know, around the internet that some of what's happening throughout the season is at least quasi real, which uh, I appreciate. Anyway, I, I, and I laughed a lot, so I, I you know, I, I can't complain about that. And I, I think that between this, Amy Schumer, Key and Peele, I haven't seen Workaholics yet, but I, but I hear it's actually quite good. Uh, and also the Anthony Jeselnik offensive, which we never talked about. I think Comedy Central is just doing a really bang-up job right now. Oh, yeah, in South Park when it's really good. Also that. <laughs> so you're saying that unlike the sci-fi channel for sci-fi, if you want comedy, you do actually t tune into Comedy Central. You could, yes. I mean, obviously there's, you know, Adult Swim is also great, and there's other good sources of humor kicking around right now. But, yeah, I think that their, their batting average is getting pretty good these days. Nice. I want to mention uh, Family Tree, Civil War. I thought the episode was really good, a really strong, ep their best episode so far. So that's a very positive sign. Um, I love anything with Chris O'Dowd just being terrified of and hating cats. I thought that that arc over the episode was great, and I really enjoyed the, the reenactments. Um, I thought Veep was – the finale was really strong, probably – When's my week in TV? Should we talk about? Do you want to talk about either of those? I feel like we need to talk about the Wilford premiere. Um, quickly, I'll just mention I had no idea Veep was ending this week, and it kind of made me a little bit sad. But the the finale was was quite strong, uh, and I think they've they've got all sorts of great directions they can go next season. I mean, they've get, they've given some pretty strong indications, but you know, lots of fun dynamics there. I loved everyone, especially Dan's opportunism was is always just a great source of humor and. Um, Family Tree was good. I don't know if it was the best episode so far. The, the actual Civil War reenactment stuff was kind of actually the weak point of the episode for me. Oh, uh, interesting. But, I, I mean, obviously the scene with the cat at the end was fantastic. <laughs> uh, and, yes, Chris O'Dowd, yes. And Amy Simon showing up as the most normal human to ever be in a Christopher Guest thing. And she's only been on screen three minutes, and we can already tell that. So that's interesting. I like that she's all over my TV now. She's also on The Killing as a deadbeat mom. So very different roles there. Very cool. Uh, and yes, Wilfred. Um, Wilfred is interesting because I feel like Wilfred is quietly schooling every other show on TV as to how to handle mythology, but it doesn't make a big deal about it. It's just like, eh, we'll give you a little and then we'll make that not really make sense. And we're just going to leave it there. And also here's some laughs. Map. I like that approach. I, and I've seen many uh, other people react similarly uh, about this this premiere it was very 
it was very on the nose. I was hoping though it, it felt it felt to me like actually like the Thirty Rock. Can we have our money now? Uh, you know, breaking the fourth wall moment. It was so on the nose with with that. Uh, why please stop giving us a hard time about the mythology? We're not going to know. Just let's laugh. Um, I was hoping that it would actually go a different direction after after the first you know the first chunk of the episode. But you know, I was laughing, so it's hard to really complain too much. I did really enjoy the, <laughs> the doppelganger for Wilfred was pretty great, and uh, the the horrible horrible things being done to it, being ridiculous outfits and and, and pictures. Um, yeah, that 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 worked for me quite a bit. So I I did enjoy. Uh, the Wilford premiere. I'm glad to have it back on my television. Um, even though, even though it didn't, you know, I wasn't as bowled over as it seems like maybe you were Simon and some of the people were as well. Uh, I, I can't say I was bowled over. I'm just, I'm really happy to have it back. I mean, I think the peak of the show is probably like near the end of last season and mm -hmm. I'm hoping it'll hit those heights again. I don't, I've, I see no reason to think that it won't. Hopefully um, the new and... showrunner is, you know, not gonna, is gonna keep. I didn't, I didn't yeah. even know that. New showrunner. Oh, well then. Fingers crossed. Whoops. For next season or for this season? For this season. Oh. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Any other uh, comedy this week to specifically mention? Uh, well, we also had the Venture Brothers Spanikopita, uh, and it, it's just been on a roll lately. It was interesting to see a, an episode without the boys and that focuses more on Rusty, and lately that's just meant endless douchebaggery, and it was interesting to see them take a different tack with him this week. Mm -hmm. uh, and oh, I continue to really enjoy St. Cloud. And uh, and we also learned this week about the albino code, which is apparently a thing. And, I, I, you know, the show subtly deepens its mythology every week. And by the end, it's just I mean, it's already impossibly dense. But by the end, you're going to be able to write an encyclopedia on this thing. Definitely. Uh, for comedies, I would either give it to Venture Brothers or Veep. And since it's the finale, let's let's give the love to Veep. How about you? All right. Uh, yeah, I, I can live with that. Veep had a really strong finale and a really strong season overall. And as for reality, we had our top 20 revealed on So You Think You Can Dance, and we had several different dance sequences. Any stand out to you? Um, the the sequence set to Bjork was good. Um, I guess that was, I forget whether, whether that was modern or jazz, technically. Um, but uh, that was, you know, that was nice and kind of affecting. The group number at the end was pointless. I, I don't, I never understand group numbers. They're impossible to follow. Uh, I mean, entire group numbers. If it's just the guys or just the girls, like I can usually deal with that. But when it's 20 people on stage, come on, I'm not I'm never going to follow that. Uh, other than that, there's not a whole lot percolating in my memory. Any uh, specific dancers that you're excited about? There's still too many, man. There's still too many? Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. I was underwhelmed by the tap number. Um, I think they, and I think it's important, they do stress that choreography for tap is really hard, basically. But if that's the best tap number they've ever done, that's not a good sign. And I feel like they really were missing that element of, of making the, the taps, the sounds of the dance be being become part of the music and as opposed to just mimicking the rhythm in the music. It should be part of the music. It should be instead of a bass line or instead of a percussion instrument or drums, you have taps. And um and so I think they were really missing that. Also just it's it's that quintessential thing with tap where if you just keep making noise, eventually you know, eventually it just turns into a wall of sound and it's meaningless. You have to have rests in music and you have to have holds and weights in in tap. So we'll see. Hopefully that'll get better uh, if at the next time we have a, a tap a tap dance. Um, 
I was uh, underwhelmed by the hip-hop number, but I liked the animation number. I thought that was very well choreographed. And just like you, I, the 20-person sequences, they they never really work for me. Every now and again, there'll be one that I like, but uh, they need to start pairing away before those group numbers really work for me. Yeah, I agree. Anyways, we'll see what happens with that moving on as we start counting down our top 20. But let's take a break, listen to a clip, and come back with our weekend drama. So then Grandpa now just up and disappears in a thin air. You slip into another dimension thing, right? Yeah. So Grandpa can go back and forth. It's it's the nuttiest thing I've ever seen. I've seen some crazy shit in this town. He's He's been tracking Warlow like he's, like he's Bubba Fett. Like an intergalactic bounty hunter. Are you not from outer space or something? No. Okay, so not actual intergalactic travel, but space and time shit that kind of hurts my head. He said when Warlow gets here... He's here. What? Warlow. When? Sometime in the last 24 hours. How, how the hell did he get here? When you channeled nature's memory on the bridge with Claude, it drew him out. Spaghetti for? Let's go stake the bastard. This week for drama, we're going to preview the the pilot for Ray Donovan, which is going to be on Showtime, but they've already released the pilot on YouTube, so anyone who's interested can check that out. We will talk about True Blood, The Sun, and Under the Dome, uh, the pilot for, for that series on, on CBS, which of course aired last night. So let's let's start with Ray Donovan. The The critic world seems, for the most part, to be... Very excited about this series. I take it from your side, you are not. I feel like critics read the cast list and maybe the synopsis and saw that it was on Showtime and maybe saw a trailer and thought, hey, this looks like quality and then just are excited based on that. Because I can't imagine that all these people actually watched multiple episodes or even just this episode and thought this looks like a series with loads of promise that I'm very excited about because... It feels like a, an incredibly standard showtimey rehash of a lot of things we've seen before. I think there's some individual elements that I've promised, but there's just way too much in general. There's about a dozen more characters seemingly than there needs to be. Uh, as much as I love, you know, half the cast. I mean, I like Liev Schreiber a lot. Uh, I, you know, Paula Malcolmson is here and like seemingly having a kind of a good time for once, which is nice to see. Um, Eddie Marsan, one of my favorite actors, period, is here for some reason. Uh, and, you know, John Voight is here, which I'm sure made you wish that we were watching more Lone Star. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's just, it, it's so boilerplate anti-hero BS for the most part. Yeah, I feel like there are two different shows in here that could be interesting. But instead of picking one, they've tried to do both and and wound up with too much going on and therefore very little specificity or depth for me. Uh, the Fixer scenes felt just like any other Fixer show we've seen. I'd much rather watch Olivia Pope deal with the types of things that we see in this pilot than, you know, than Ray Donovan. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's not a good sign. And and uh, then when you go to the family dynamic side of things, just I don't know any of these other characters um, and I should, after the pilot, I should feel like I know at least his wife, but 
you know, as much as I love Paula Malcolmson, she's acting like a freaking idiot throughout this. So I, I don't know her well enough to know that she is an idiot or, but I still like her cause she's funny or something. Or if she's not supposed to be an idiot, but she's just, I, I know it doesn't make sense. So I, I am not engaged with really any of these characters. Um, there are a couple steps that they make that I really did appreciate, but then there are a couple decisions they make that I don't, uh, I, I like sort of turn me off from wanting to watch the show at all. So this is certainly not one that I care to seek out or follow, but if, I guess if I hear that it gets particularly better, I can, I'll, I'll, you know, tune back in, but on on the list of you know anti-hero shows that there are, are out there you know right now or on DVD I don't see why anybody is excited about this one Yeah I mean I think people are excited about good summer programming in general considering you know it's another 2 months before we get Breaking Bad etc cetera, etc cetera. but yeah it's it's just weak sauce man like ultimately like I, this this felt a lot like with House of Lies like another Showtime mm-hmm. show like, oh this is a great cast it's a potentially okay premise and then you just watch it and you're like uh, it's just not very good. And I, I will say that I, I liked the two or three scenes we got with uh, Schreiber and just his brothers dealing with the fallout from stuff in the re- in other parts of their lives and just sort of getting to know them. Those couple of scenes work. But then as soon as John Voigt comes in as the big bad, it's like, ugh. Well, and it's, I'm so, I, I didn't really engage with the, the brotherly dynamic. Um, and, oh, and we didn't even mention those horrible flashbacks. Uh, flashback dream, dream sequence, sequence. not 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 good Oof. especially in a week when so we're so so many of us are, are remembering the sopranos which of course is one of the shows to do dream sequences the best ever yes. um and and this is feels very much like a show trying to be the sopranos but um no i i just I don't care about Voight. I, I, there was a little too much shock and incredulity at the notion of having a, a black half-brother f- for, for my taste. And it didn't feel like we were had been established, that there had been established that there might be some racist issues, you know, in this family and how they grew up or whatever. I don't know. I just, I really did not. Maybe I just went in with expectations. I won't even say high expectations, just expectations, just expectations based yeah. on the buzz. Pop culture keeps trying to train us to not expect stuff, and I, I keep not learning. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I'm really interested because I haven't heard any other reviews. I haven't read any other reviews from, from critics about Ray Donovan. I'm very interested to see what other people, you know, what, what is intriguing other critics about this show in, in causing them there to be such positive buzz in general because I just don't see it. Yeah, unless the pilot ends up being like a weird whiff, or if and it's then... like a fluke, and they all—it's like with or like with girls when that first came out, and everybody was raving, and we watched the first few episodes and went what, and then episode four was amazing, and we finally everything clicked and made sense. So if ever, if everybody else has seen several episodes and it gets better, that that yeah. makes sense. But if it's just based on this pilot, yeah. Death yeah, death. Not, not working for us. Speaking on not working for us, True Blood, the sun. True Blood. Yeah. Let's keep it I, short. I don't know if I should feel guilty or not, because I, I, I did think it was better than last week, mm-hmm. to be clear. I thought, I think, if nothing else, there was at least a sense of mood and uh, and tension somewhat and danger this week. And and why? Let's, let's let the listeners know, why are you feeling guilty? Well, I'm feeling guilty because I watched it and thought, okay, this is at least a little better. Maybe I should get Kate to watch this. <laughs> uh, so should I feel guilty? Uh, I mean, 
mean, I do think it's fine. I was, much like you, I was very glad, again, spoilers, I was very glad that we found out Redgar Howard was not actually Warlow, though it was incredibly contrived, and I don't know. I, and, and the fact that just like, oh, okay, I, this person just said he was Warlow, and now he just says that he's your fairy grandfather, and... You're just going to believe him and invite him into your sister's Well, I mean, there, is the, there is the skill testing question segment um, where he, you know, where he, you know, he tells... Where he knows three things about the guy's life. From his, over the span of his entire life. Two of which could have been Googled. Yeah, I suppose. But anyway, I, I'm, I'm happy to, I'm much happier to see Rutger Hauer in that capacity on the show. Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, just the notion of getting... Hiring Rutger Hauer and then getting him to say, I'm your fairy grandfather, is amusing on paper or in any other format. So I, I like that. I, actually, I think he uh, he also got the funniest line reading of the episode when he tells Jason that he is not special in any way. <laughs> and I then Jason's Quandon's def- reaction there. <laughs> that was great. Uh, and I, other people are trying. I mean, Skarsgård is trying. Deborah Ann Wall, holy God, is she trying? Uh, several other people are trying. Quentin is trying, but half Carrie the cast. Preston, does I liked her seem, this week. Carrie Preston is trying, uh, but half the cast does seem asleep and should probably be dead now. Yeah, man, Joe Manganiello, uh, Manganiello, the uh, his his one scene is. I mean, I don't. He he literally looks like he's asleep during it. Normally, he's an incredibly charismatic presence, but I. I have no idea what was what's supposed to be going on there. Are we supposed to actively not like Alcide at this point? Because I mean, I don't even understand what you know. That's that. I mean, it was it's just this little scene about where it's like we we just got done with the the adorable little wolf kid being kidnapped and rescued, and now apparently that's what we're going to do again. Uh, yeah, and poor Chris Bauer gets the worst scenes of all. How did you feel about the Journey Smollett character? Um. Okay, I like I like her a lot, of course. From she, we got to know her, that actress on Friday Night Lights, um, and I do think there are interesting things to be said or done with the with the you know vampire or other supernatural creature as an allegory for for racism or or um, uh, anti gay fear that sort of a thing, homophobia and uh, and le- the legislation against the rights of a people just categorically is interesting. Trouble is, they they want <laughs> to be able to use the imagery of, of of really violent, terrible attacks that have happened in real life. They want to to co opt that imagery, like the guy being dragged behind the truck, like the very clear Holocaust shower, you know, people being you know killed or gassed in shower sequence that we get at the very end, without acknowledging that unlike somebody who's dragged behind a truck for being gay or being the wrong color. These are all, every vampire on this show has remorselessly killed people just cause like we saw that this week, this week, Jessica accident, you know, accidentally just not intend for this woman to die, but she just feeds this person to bill who very violently and horribly actually that's really well shot kills her. And Jessica shows no remorse, and Bill shows no remorse. So you can't take the imagery of innocent victims being being just destroyed and killed in these savage ways and then say it's in any way equivalent to the situation that's going on in True Blood. They want to have their cake and eat it, too, and it's, it's nearly offensive. 
I don't know. I, I, I get where you're coming from. On the other hand, I'm just happy to see them doing anything that that gives us a sense of what that that gives that world a sense of an emotional charge or any kind of dramatic tension. Cause that for me has been absent for basically almost the entire time I've been watching it, which admittedly was only the beginning of last season, which I'm sure long time fans of the show will find hilarious. But yeah, no, like I, you're right. Like I'm not going to say you're wrong, but I'm still more interested in that show than the show that it was when it wasn't trying to do stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah it is. It's not great, but it's at least like I like the I do like the idea that our because I don't think the show is trying to give its heroes a pass. Like, I don't think we're supposed to watch what Eric is doing and just say, oh, that's cool because he's a vampire. Because he's Eric and he's cool. I think we are supposed to say think that Eric is cool and good on him. He's, you know, mind raping someone. And because we like Eric, that's okay. Yeah, and admittedly, maybe I have a different view of that because I've only just recently started watching, but I don't know. I'm curious to see how the show handles that from here on out. That being said, if we get no more scenes of Billith in no place, holy crap, I'll be totally fine with that. Oh, that's nothing. I imagine if you had seen uh, <laughs> the various uh, experiences of, of Sookie in very no place. Yeah, uh, that's it's not nearly the worst scene like that the show has done. I guess I just correlate with something like this, with this these scenes with something like um, Vampire Diaries, which obviously I've complained enough about earlier this year, but which has gone out of its way to show that its vampire characters, most of them, actively try to protect innocence. They do, they do not go around killing people because they can't. Like, they've really established on Vampire Diaries, and maybe that's just because it's a network show, that these they, these are good guys that are sometimes persecuted for being vampires when it's not necessarily something they had a choice in. Whereas on True Blood, I, I really don't get that sense at all. Do any of the vampires on the show care about people at all? I guess I guess Jessica does. Yeah, well, I mean, it's also her people. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice if any of the vampire characters were trying to, uh, for instance, get, um, you know, do something to get True Blood back on the market. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that the only person that's trying to do that is the villain of of the series. Again, like little things like that, I, I do find interesting and they're also troublesome. But those things are at least worthy of discussion and, you know prompt okay. thought on some level as opposed to just the mind-numbing stupidity of half of what's going on that's that's true i think we've given this too much time we really have okay let's move to under the dome which had its premiere and on cbs this week i have not read the book have you read the book it's apparently no huge. it's no. so long I'm familiar, though, with it because there was a lot of talk in my, uh, my my circle of friends when it came out. So I I looked up a plot synopsis so I would be able to follow the conversation. So I do actually have a somewhat of a familiarity with the, the premise and, and the world, I guess, of Under the Dome. And uh, despite or maybe because we've watched so many Stephen King adaptations for our various uh, uh, Steve Procopi's horror picks segments, I was... Now, I didn't go into this with any sort of positive expectations. I don't feel like most of the Stephen King uh, adaptations have been wholly successful or wholly satisfying, especially something that started off as it starts as a concrete 
book and is being turned into a continuing series as opposed to like a mini series or, or a TV movie. Um, and perhaps because of that, I was actually really pleasantly surprised. I did not expect to recognize, I think, all but two of the actors in this in incredibly large cast. Um, and so it was, it was just like Beth Roderick shows up for one scene as a waitress. I was like, oh, I, look, it's, it's Beth Roderick. And then we have, of course, Dean Norris. And But, but even just these really small characters, the, everybody peopling the town, I'm pretty much familiar with. Even it's young Sam Winchester from the the flashbacks in Supernatural playing the kid. Um, so so I, that was a pleasant surprise. And I think they just they did really handle the setup at least of this pilot really well we've watched a lot of pilots on the show and this is a this is a strong pilot it's a good pilot so i was pleasantly surprised i will be tuning in yeah i mean basically it's the lost crew handling stephen king you've got brian k vaughn uh, writing the pilot of course he also worked on why the last man which i must ask again how is that not a series already but anyway um and you know uh jack bender who produced i think all of lost if not the great majority of it uh, no, no, didn't he direct, like, almost? Yeah, he directed. Yeah, he directed, like, 40 episodes, something ridiculous like that. Um, Steven Spielberg shows up in the credits, because why not? Uh, and, of course, he has a perfect record with television. <laughs> and uh, But, uh, no, it was, I was also pleasantly surprised. I only honestly recognize Jeff Fahey, who's awesome, and hopefully, <laughs> I, I assume he's not dead, because um, he's in the main credits, but we'll see. Um, I hope he's not dead. And uh, Dean Norris, obviously, uh, good timing for them. He was a great get, and I, I'm under the impression we're going to be seeing a lot of him. Um, I didn't recognize any of the younger folk at all, so... Oh, what I, I mean, I, I, I did recognize... Robertson. What now? The uh, the young girl who we know from Secret Circle. The Hayden Panettiere lookalike? You know her as Lux from Life Unexpected. Oh, huh. All right. Wow, it's amazing how quickly that left my brain. Um, <laughs> the... Uh, I mean, I do, I do, I do recognize uh, uh, Rachel Lefebvre, who is, or Lefebvre, anyway, uh, another Montrealer or Quebecer showing up on your TV, so ha. Huh? Um, <laughs> so yeah, other than that, mostly unknowns to me, but yeah, I, th I think it's a pretty strong pilot. I think what's nice about it is, though, it, it is quite losty in the sense of the way it sets up mysteries, and uh, hopefully there are payoffs for those that aren't too horrible. Um, but I also like that it really captures the Stephen King, like any, any Waresville Maine vibe, uh, mm -hmm. that's, you know, crucial to why I think the better Stephen King adaptations work. Um, there's, you know, the, I think there's a nice balance of darkness and light. And I mean, there are certain aspects that are a little troublesome going, going forward. Like, I don't really know how much time we're going to want to spend with Junior. Um, and none, no time, but yeah. No time, but we will, and we're going to have to deal with that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm 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 looking forward to seeing most of the rest of the cast and seeing how those interactions develop. Uh, and um, yeah, also in, in well stocked, well fun, apparently well funded indie radio stations in the middle of nowhere. Those don't exist. But anyway, <laughs> moving on. Moving on. Yeah, the, I guess. Um, oh wow. Yeah, this 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 won the weekend drama for me because we're gonna. Wow, did it? Well, because you know we're gonna talk about Hannibal as our as our season spotlight, and we're gonna spotlight Mad Men, so those don't count. So it's Ray Donovan, True Blood, and Under the Dome. 
Oh yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> we will keep tuning in with uh, under the at least I plan to, and we'll uh, let you guys know how the season progresses. But totally. did, did you want to talk about the killing at all? Uh, no, I I actually did think it had its probably its best episode so far. Um, I like the what they did with Bullet and uh, her interactions with with the. With the cops, I continue to really just dig the hell out of Jill Kinnaman. His, uh, his, I like when he gets into his truck and gets out his douchebag costume, um, which if you've seen the episode, you'll know what I'm talking about. The, I'm hoping that the reveal of, I'm just, I'm, I'm hoping for fewer twists than I think there are going to be, basically. If they can do this with a minimum of twists, I think that'll be the best way forward for them. That's all I got to say about that. Okay. Uh, let's take a break, listen to the clip, and come back with our spotlight on the Mad Men finale. Are you kidding me? They got married? What the hell was he even doing there? You should really get going. Well, you tell those Panamanian criminals they should put Manolo under house arrest, or ship's arrest, or whatever it's called. Fine, the brig. Do whatever it takes. What's wrong? Give me Bob Benson this minute. He was waiting for you. You're late for your flight to Detroit. <sighs> Hold that. How are you? Not great, Bob. What's wrong? What's wrong? Don't play dumb. You don't know that your boyfriend Manolo kidnapped my mother, married her at gunpoint, then threw her off a ship. Slow down. I know you're exaggerating and you're being hostile. If you want to run, I do it now. Because you're an accessory to murder. I will never, ever let this go. Manny wouldn't hurt a fly. Even if you thought it was rich, the Mad Men finale in care of the, this finale. I, I it was interesting because again I was watching it later than everybody else, and there's just like an explosion of what on my Twitter feed. No spoilers. Again, thank you all for being amazing. Um, but lots of buzz and lots of you know surprises in, in this Mad Men finale, and maybe because I knew to expect some of that, while I was still very surprised, um, everybody else seems to have liked this one more than I did. Including you, and I can see that that grin on your face. So why don't I let you just dive into it, and then I'll get into my Mad Men on We uh, after you're done with the the, the gush and the praise. Okay, right, Mad Men We. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I I love this. I think it actually, as as great a finale as this was, I think it also helped to underline what was wrong with a lot of the rest of the season. I think there was so much incident in this episode that. I think maybe could have stood to be spread out over several episodes. Whereas there were entire chunks of this season that if you asked me what happened in them, I wouldn't be able to tell you because there was seemingly so little or that involved characters that we spent so little time with. Uh, so that's, I mean, in terms of pacing, the whole season has been kind of off. However, I did think it was a really, really strong finale. I think it had a handful of incredible scenes. Everyone who joked about this being, um, John Hamm's Emmy submission episode were completely right uh, because I think I mean I mean obviously the the pitch session with Hershey alone like there you go that's it right there in a, in, in a bag and I think what I to, to talk specifically about that scene I think one of the reasons that hit me so hard is because I don't know how how can I how can I explain this I don't know if you've ever been in a position of of doing of of feeling so compelled to do or say something and it, and every fiber of your being tells you it's the correct thing to do and it's it's what your soul demands and it's just and it's right but it 
ends up being just the totally wrong thing to do. Uh, I've done that, and I and so you know when 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 Don gets effectively sacked later in the episode, um, you know I I think that the which is you know the the direct result of that scene. I, I mean every aspect of that part of the episode just really hit home for me uh, personally. So I I don't know I that you can't account for the way people will react personally to TV shows, obviously, but for me that actually helped me to begin to start thinking about caring about Don again. Which was a surprise, and man, all respect to Matthew Weiner if season seven opens with Don single and sober. Can you imagine? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Yeah, but it would go away. Well, it's only going to be thirteen episodes left. To, I mean, they can do whatever they want at this point. Do you think? Are do you think that that's just not going to be an option for them? Well, I would, I would love it if, if Don changed at all ever, but I don't know that we've ever seen that we've seen it for short periods of time. And then he gets his shit together and is a functional person. And then, and then pisses it all away again. It's a pattern with Don. And, um, while I do think the very, the last shot with, with that, you know, his decision to take his children to the, to where he grew up and to show that I, I was actually very glad in that moment, not necessarily for Don, but for Sally, I think it, that was an important thing for her. Um, to, it's basically a way of this isn't about you. This is about me, and I've, I'm, I'm really fucked up. And here's a little piece of that. And now maybe you understand the things that when I say it's complicated, I actually wasn't trying to blow you off, and it actually yeah. really is. Um, yeah, I think so. I, I was actually very glad in that moment for, for Sally. The thing is, I still really don't care about Dawn. And I, you know, like if I got a sense, I obviously moving to California would not have solved anything much like Ted moving to California doesn't solve anything. There will be another Peggy on the, uh, on the West coast and that's not going to change anything there at all either. So I think that's just stupid. Um, and maybe Pete moving, seeing as everything has fallen apart, will give him a fresh start. I don't know, but with Don, if I got a sense that he was doing, that he was sabotaging, for example, his relationship with, with Megan because it, it, he knew that that was the right thing to do, like he knew that this is what he had to do, then that then, then that, may, that might be interesting. But no, he just screwed up her entire career and without a second thought. You know, Ted looks sad. Because Ted did stupid shit and he can't seem to take responsibility for it. And so in, rather than discuss anything with his wife, he did exactly what he has done all season and just made decisions for everybody else around him without consulting them. He, I don't think he's changed or grown at all. I don't know. I feel like regardless of how you feel about Ted's decision, I think Don deciding that he's going to give that spot to Ted, I think is an act of kindness, whether or not you see Ted's act as being legitimate. Yeah. Per, that, that could be an act of, of kindness, but when you're married, you don't get to just make decisions for the rest of your family without, for your wife, without involving that. her in that conversation. So yes, he decided that he would sacrifice his chance at happiness moving out there 
for Ted, and that's great. But he also sacrificed his wife's chance. And she had already been written off her show. She either has to leave him or lose her career because she's not going to get a job like that again well, I, in I New think York. They made it, I think they made it pretty clear that she's going to go. Yeah, she is. Yes, but that's not what he was saying. Yeah, he said, we'll be bi-coastal, which was We'll pathetic, be bi-coastal, but... which is ridiculous. And if, yeah. you know, it was just pathetic. I, I, if it, Don said, we both know that this marriage has has fallen apart and we're not happy and that's why I did this. So if you really want to stay, I can, I'll do my best to make it work, but I think you should go and I should stay. That would be one thing, but that's not what he said. No, it's not. But I, maybe he sensed that would be the result. Like, I'm not saying he's by yeah. any means perfect, but I do think there are signs of change in the episode. And I think the the, the scene with Sally at the end is, is the most important uh, I also really, I must say, I really liked the brief scene we got with him on the phone with Betty. Uh, and can I just say that I think January Jones has actually had a really good season. I think she's been great. Yeah. And, like, she hasn't had, she hasn't been as present as probably she was last season, but I think that for all the naysayers, she's been really good. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, I guess just for me, the thing with Don is that I've been burned thinking he might change before and nothing in this episode makes me think he has changed or will change in any permanent, meaningful way. So maybe that's it. And then as for the last scene, I think it was really meaningful to us, but to, to Sally and Bobby and the other one, the other one, (laughs) it's just a rundown house in a bad part of town. There's nothing on there that says, you know, Madam, there's no reason to think that when they get back in that car and on the drive home, he's not just going to tell them the rest of it. Yes, there is. They're children having well, a conversation with least, Sally. Or at least maybe, tell Sally. But... I I could see San- Sally handling it pretty well. Yeah, and Sally's old enough. But but you know, there's that. I don't know. I th- I think, and and I would be very interested to see that scene. And I don't think we necessarily will. I don't know that we need to, but I mean, I think. It's easy for for it's really powerful to us because we know what it means to Don, but from the kids' perspective, it's just it's a rundown house that actually you know thirty years ago could have looked awesome. We don't yeah, know. I don't know. I mean, I I think that given that in this episode we also see Don telling a lot about his past to a room full of basically total strangers. Yeah, that also didn't mean a lot to me either. I because I, I I don't know. I needed. I felt like that came out of nowhere and it didn't feel and I maybe this I just have a closed off heart of coal but it didn't feel particularly truthful to me or meaningful um and I'm sure it's supposed to be I 100% I'm sure I know that that he's telling the truth in that moment but we haven't seen we've never seen him eating any kind or even just having a rapper somewhere in the background of a scene of these flashbacks. We've had these meaningless, useless flashbacks to him in the horror house all season. Oh, to, to be clear, I, I, this doesn't make this scene doesn't make the flashbacks any better. Yeah, that's true. But but I think I think I would have bought into this. scene. I don't need to see him, you know, very, you know, holding this this chocolate bar and I don't need to see like the scene that he describes. I don't need to see that in the flashbacks, but if you're going to have these flashbacks there anyways, give me any sort of lead up to that. Cause it just, it came out of nowhere for me. And, um, and, and so I like, I didn't, I guess he looks at his hands and his hands are shaking. 
I guess I don't know. I maybe I just am not have not been invested enough in in Don's journey this this season or even just in this episode. I just I didn't feel the trigger that makes him go into this. I don't think there is a single trigger. I don't think okay. it's a rational decision. I think it's just, you know, he it's his first ever meeting with Hershey and he happens to be at this weird crossroads in his life where he's trying to kick booze. I mean, he dumps all the booze out in his house and and I, I really liked uh, the way played the scene of, of, you know, you can't just go in there straight. You need a drink. You can't just kick it. And then, and I, I watched the scene again, and I didn't even notice his handshaking the first time. It's a it's a relatively subtle movement. So that was well played for all uh, for all concerned. I don't know. I just that scene like, yeah, you're, you're right. There There is no there's no logical through line as to why it's happening. But I think in a, in a way that actually made it more affecting for me. Uh, we, we may want to talk about other people in the cast. Uh, for instance, <laughs> poor Stan. Poor oh, Stan. Yeah. But he, as I mentioned to you, he still comes out ahead because they may be out in California, but Ted is still Ted and Pete is still Pete. And even stuck in New York when he wanted a fresh start, Stan is still Stan. And Stan is awesome. So I think he's still, you know, he he yeah. may not have gotten this, this this notion, this dream that this idea that he had, but he, you know, still gets to be awesome in New York. Really hope he ditches the jacket and beard by next season, though. Yeah, I don't think the facial hair's going anywhere, though. Yeah, he seems quite attached. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, I also, I mean, I think uh, Carthizer's had a, a great season as well, uh, and such wonderful delivery. <laughs> not great, Bob. <laughs> I think that was clearly the the comic takeaway, and the scene yeah. with the uh, with driving stick was fantastic. Um, James Wolk also, I mean, mm-hmm. he's been the biggest takeaway I think for a lot of people all season, and I love that even now there's still a lot we don't know about Bob Benson. Definitely. And um, the last scene with Joan was very nice. Um, and going back to Don really quick, uh, I did actually now I I had a real problem with the the Joan jaguar like that the he drops jaguar without talking to joan and that leads to that's you know i had i wasn't completely on board with that um and now it seems very clear that that was designed that was her reason for being in that last scene that's what you know pushed her over the edge to to be willing to get rid of don and i think we've seen for each of the people each of the partners there was a moment this season that put them in that room at the end and so mm-hmm. I, I did actually li- like that quite a bit and having roger with Joni and uh and and, and Kevin bob and bob <laughs> i thought was just i thought that was really sweet and i, I did actually really like that yes uh i'm at a, i yeah i don't know i mean there's one season left and i'm i'm very curious to see who ends up in any kind of redemptive or happy state by the end of this Peggy. i'm Peggy, Peggy's got a great shot. You know, everyone's already talked about how the shot we get of her in Don's office is highly reminiscent of the intro. And that's saying something, although hopefully not setting her up to be future Don later, because that'd be very upsetting. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling for Peggy. I'm, I'm pulling for everyone, you know, but I know it's not going to work out for everyone. <laughs> yes, yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, Peggy, once again, I, we knew this was, you know, with Ted, He's proven himself a, a dick earlier in the season, and so I'm not surprised at what happens with that this week. And this is not the first terrible relationship choice she's made, but I'm I'm glad that she seems to have her head held high at the end and um, be happy with where she's at. At least career wise, she 
is she got away from both Ted and Don. Like I said last week, she needs to get away from these guys. She's away from them by them leaving and or being forced out and her still being yeah. there. So I'll take it. And again, just to play, I mean, I have to play devil's advocate for a minute for Ted, just because like, look, obviously he's not a stand up guy, but I can see how from Ted's perspective, I can, I can, I, I get where he's coming from. Like I, I can't defend it, but I get it. And you're covering your head in shame. <laughs> it's stupid. Oh my god! I it's, it's, oh it's, no! It's... I can't help myself around my hot employee. She's there, so I'm gonna have to fuck her. I mean, come on. Well, hold on, Take hold on. But Peggy's hold on. Peggy's not just a hot employee. Peggy is an extraordinary person. Yes, she is. So you know, let let's give her some some credit here. If, I think if that he's when... gonna choose his wife, he should choose his wife. Not because there's no Peggy or option around, but because he's choosing his wife. I. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, when you say that, that he's going to find another Peggy on the on the on the West Coast, I don't know. Is there another Peggy? He'll find someone so sure. else. He, I would be very surprised if he doesn't find himself in that same situation. If he hasn't before and he doesn't again, I would be very surprised because each of the women that Don has been with have been for the most part his the affairs that he's had have been really interesting intelligent strong women right but and that doesn't Ted... change his his serial you know like his his constant affairs well but ted's not don like we've only seen him do this with peggy right we've we've only seen him with peggy really right. we haven't seen and, him with and, anyone but, else but the the level of conflictedness that he experiences after one encounter seems to indicate that if it's not the first time, at least, it hasn't happened nearly to a Don level. I mean, you know, Don will say things like, you'll be you, you'll be shocked how much this didn't happen. You can't picture Ted saying something like that. No, because <laughs> he wouldn't show up and help out Peggy in that situation. Ted wouldn't. Don did. Don has a stronger connection with her. I just, I, Ted is just a weasel. And No, uh, I, I agree. I agree. But I do get it. Oh. I, I get it. <laughs> I'm not much defending like, it, but I get it. Much like Trudy, I don't, I don't, we don't know uh, Ted's wife. So I don't know if she's better off without him. But like seeing Trudy again in this episode, I was like, oh, you're so well shot at that loser. <laughs> um, I feel kind of like that about, um, uh, about, uh, about, about Ted and his, you know, his his kids seem to actually really like him, which is good. His wife seems to really care about him, but we don't, we haven't really seen them. So who knows yeah. if they're actually other happy. other indicators that he's probably not a Don sort or hasn't been in other parts of his life. But um, well, Sally was all about her dad until she happened to to stumble into him having an affair. True. But anyway, sorry. Uh, I I don't mean to bring be be the buzzkill. I know that I apparently. According to the internet and all of the critics, I am wrong. Uh, I, I'm completely on a different wavelength about this episode as everybody else. I thought it was, obviously, it's a very well done show. I think it's very uh, an excellent episode. I just do not have a newfound affinity for Don. I guess I just don't trust Matthew Weiner more than anything. But You know, I, I think just to wrap things up and, and, and not to make it too personal, but I feel like one of the ways that we can accept anti-hero protagonists is to say, like, yes, this person has an immense amount of trouble and maybe they won't change, but at least I can recognize that the problems they're dealing with are problems that I experience in my own character and things that I, maybe I can't change. And for, and for mm -hmm. me on that level, usually I don't feel that with Mad Men, but I think at least 
for this episode, that sense did come back to me personally. So that's why it worked for me on that deeper level. Whether or not it's leading to great change next season, God, I hope it does. I think that would be a fantastic way to take things out. And I, I, I could see Weiner doing that. He's not a dumb guy. Um, I think that maybe overall the show, it, looking back, maybe we'll decide it was a season too long, especially since, again, I really think there was a real uh, a lack of meaningful plot elements this season uh, for a lot of it. And I, th- I think that probably they could have just done a slightly longer final season and been fine, uh, like, and have that be the sixth season. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to this in a little over a year when the show's over. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll, we'll we'll see where it's at. I would love to be wrong. I would love for there to be real growth and change and progress that sticks for Don. I've loved it in the past when he seemed to really grow as a person and, you know, had not just fallen immediately back into his, his bad habits. So I would love to be wrong, basically. Fingers crossed that I am wrong. <laughs> but let's go into some show notes. Our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. You can find a post up at soundonsite.org for this episode, and you can leave us comments there. Also, uh, you can vote in the Make Kate Watch Stuff poll at soundonsite.org slash TV. It'll be up probably by tomorrow, and then also you can vote for that in, uh, in, in on Facebook. I will try to provide more uh, network options. I know people were not happy with the options this week, so I'll try to come up with something a little more interesting. Um, you can also reach us with email, theteleverse at gmail.com, and we have an M4A chaptered and an MP3 unchaptered feed for the podcast up in iTunes, and we would very much appreciate any uh, iTunes ratings or reviews that do help other people find the show. Um, also, you can reach us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and you are? At Sucker Howl. And what should our question of the week be? Kate and I have secretly agreed on our top 10 of the year so far. You'll find that out later. Um, it'll be fun to get people's reactions to that. <laughs> really, really fun. But um, I'm just curious what people, let's say top three. What's your top three shows of the year and or top three episodes? Uh, you can do both if you like. Yeah, that'll be ve- that'll be very interesting. I'd love to, to see how much overlap maybe there is between our listener base and, and ourselves. And if there are any... And since we're not going to do it, you can always also do worse series because that would be fun to hear. <laughs> Certainly. What, what show burns you the most this year? Um, but uh, thank you. Yeah, it's a good question. So let us know. And now we're going to take a quick break, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with Ricky D from Sound on Sight to talk Hannibal Season 1, as well as the finale, savoureux, savory dessert. Let's just translate that. <laughs> we'll be right back. This is an unexpected treat. Thank you for indulging me. You seemed like you needed to talk. And since you refuse invitations to my dinner table, this is the only way I could cook for you. What's on your mind, Hannibal? I'm going to see Will tomorrow. As a patient or as a friend? As a farewell. Of sorts. Thought Mr. Graham was finally going to be the patient who cost you your life. He didn't cost me my life. He cost Abigail hers. Your veal is getting cold. Controversial dish. Veal. Hmm. Those who denounce veal often cite the young age at which the animals are killed. When they're, in fact, older than many pigs going to slaughter. 
You have to be careful, Hannibal. They're starting to see your pattern. the televerse this is kate kolzik joined as ever by simon howell and this week we're doing a season spotlight on hannibal season one it's not a dvd shelf because it got renewed i'm so happy Woo! and here to help us discuss it is ricky d the general editor general editor of sound on site who has been covering the show week to week for us over at sound on site ricky welcome back to the show hey kate what made you want to review hannibal week to week because you don't review you review several shows but uh, often they tend to be the the more the higher profile shows and you know we don't cover a lot of shows that have such a small audience as this but you were you're passionate about reviewing it what was uh the thing that really got you on board with Hannibal well I'm actually trying to review as many genre tv shows as I can um which explains why I'm reviewing Bates Motel because it's not a very good show but, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the novels, and I love Silence of the Lambs. And one of my favorite films of the 80s is Manhunter, directed by Michael Mann. So it just all made sense. The, the question you should be asking is, why didn't I start a podcast dedicated to the show? Because it is my biggest regret so far this year. This show is amazing. It is seriously amazing. And based on the season finale, I, have, I, can, now, I can now easily say, safely say, and confidently say, that this is the best show so far this year that I've seen. And I can't wait for Breaking Bad, but I think this is the best series I've seen so far this year. And I love The Americans and I love Game of Thrones, but this takes it. Like, it's amazing. It's amazing. Like, the season finale, just the way it all came full circle, I couldn't have asked for a, a better finale. Like, it was just incredible. Yeah, I watched that finale and I got to see it early because I, I got a screener for it uh, and, and I just couldn't wait to talk about it and then, of course, promptly had to because nobody else had seen it. Just I, when I was watching it, I felt like such an idiot for not having seen so much of that finale coming because it's so perfectly constructed. If you look at the season as a whole, of course, of course it had to come back to Garrett Jacob Hobbs and the moment he was killed and where he was killed with Will now in his place. Again, saying the exact same word of dialogue. It was so beautifully and symmetrically structured. You know, so much of the show is about its, its style and the way that it, rather than so frequently it's sub style over substance, in the case of Hannibal, it's the way that its style enhances its substance and is joined with its substance. And 
the way that the show has been laid out all season, when we get to those final moments, when we get to that final shot, which is such a wonderful reversal from what everyone expects to see when a psychiatrist or someone enters a psych ward and Hannibal is one of those two people, you don't expect Hannibal to be on the outside of the prison cell. And uh, yeah, I, I love this finale. I've really enjoyed this season. And I'm again, I'm just so glad it's coming back next year. Well, I'm glad you noticed that it comes full circle because a lot of people didn't. A lot of people didn't realize that Will was standing in the exact same spot as uh, Hobbs was in the first uh, episode back in the pilot, right? Uh, Even the way the actual episode ends and it's Hannibal Lecter walking into the prison to go visit Will, who's standing behind the bars, which is a complete reversal of what we're used to seeing from the movies like Silence of the Lambs and Manhunter. And how does he greet Will? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's it's just, it's the way, <laughs> everything about it, like, it just, it has its nods to the previous films and also to the books, but the series stands on its own still. And I think that this, this show is incredible. Like, it's elevated by direction, cinematography, the dialogue, the acting. I mean, the cast is incredible. I hear rumors of David Bowie coming in in the second season I know Brian Fowler's got big plans for the next three seasons. He has it all mapped out already. I mean, they even bring in like a famous chef to actually cook the dinners and the desserts. Like, and you know what I mean? Like there's, they got it all covered. Like it's, it's incredible. Simon. No one was less excited about Hannibal than me. I was very not excited. You were very not excited. But maybe not as much as you. And I think I was probably even less excited. I was To say I was a skeptic would be under-serving the point. You know, there hasn't been a good Hannibal Lecter thing in a really long time. The character had seemed to me to be done to death. Not to mention, no, no, no pun intended, but there it is. Um, and, of course, serial killers. We're all sick to death of serial killers. So how is it that Brian Fuller gets to make a Hannibal Lecter show that has roughly 1,700 serial killers in it? And it's awesome. And, I, and, and you know, if go back and listen to the Televerse for the first six, seven episodes, I was still hedging my bets because I still wasn't sure if I was ready to like it. And I, I think that by those last few episodes and certainly by the end of the finale, I, I had to cave in and just say, this is not just a show that looks very good and is very smartly put together but I can't fully get behind it. This is this is a great show. And, you know, I think it, it proves, if nothing else, that Brian Fuller is, if not the smartest man in television, he's got to be up there in the top three or four. Because, man, when you look at his CV, what the shows that he's worked on, the, show that he, the shows that he's show run, the, the sheer variety of the stuff that he's worked on, the guy can clearly do anything. You talk about the police procedural and or serial killer TV shows, right? But what makes this show so incredibly different is it's not about how the crime is committed. It's about why the crime is committed. You know what I mean? Like most TV shows, it's all about how the crime was like committed, right? It's about the action, not the psychological explanation of why this person committed the crime the way he did. You know, like you you think back at the incredible episode, uh, the totem pole episode, and it's like Will says in that episode, he's like, it's the totem pole signifies the end of the story for the killer. This is my resume. This is my body of work. This is my legacy. So that's what I like about the show. It's all about psychology. It's it's 
You know, and I, I don't know. I, I think the writing is just incredible because although this show does have some brilliant cinematography and some interesting action sequences at times, which are few and far between, but, you know, there are a few great action sequences sprinkled throughout the whole entire season. The best moments come when it's just two people talking, when it's Gillian Anderson and Mad Mickelson's exchanging words, or when it's Hugh Dancy and Mad Mickelson exchanging words. That, that to me, is the highlight of the show. I wish his name were Mad Mickelson's. I just want to throw that out there. Or when Carolyn Devernas is sitting in a car. Yeah, and we don't yeah. even that's we don't no even words. hear her. You don't even need the words. <laughs> I should mention uh, it's been so so great to see Carolyn Devernas on my TV again. I didn't think she got nearly enough to do, frankly, but I did like that she got that what that great showcase moment in the finale where she just got to finally freak out. And we we've I feel like we've been waiting an entire season for anybody to freak out like that. And you know, because everyone is just so buttoned down and so in it's so involved in this extreme grimness and uh, and will even says i feel like i need to let out a scream and it, but if i start i may not stop yeah and it was really smart to have alana like like not only featured in the season finale but she was like the the focus of the season finale and we needed her otherwise it might have just been the most depressing season finale ever and she just i don't know she just brought a lot of emotion her performance is amazing i love the chemistry between her and hugh dancy so we really needed her in the finale and i think that was a wise move on the part of the writing staff well and even just i I, i'm sure that this was not just me and i watched this with my sister who you know has a dog is an animal lover i'm sure also ricky you were glad that you know, she takes she takes his dogs, and we know that his dogs are going to be okay. Like those kind of details made me really, really happy. Those are the kind of details that other shows really don't care about. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I kind of have a huge crush on Hugh Dancy, and or at least the character <laughs> he's playing in the show. Um, I think he's adorable. I think he's cute. But I mean, it's just like you sympathize for the guy, you like the guy. Uh, you know, despite the fact that he has you know somewhat of emotional problems, but. I don't know, just the fact that he takes in all these stray dogs and he just seems like the most lovable person, but yet he can't have a relationship. But if he could, he would be like the perfect boyfriend. <laughs> I don't know. I have a huge thing for uh, Hugh, Hugh Dancy right well, now. So. He's he's almost like a superhero in the sense of like he's got superpowers and he can't form real relationships because he has a secret identity. Did, did anyone else see what I'm saying? Well, yeah, I, I sort of get what you're saying. I mean, when we when we're transported into the into the viewpoint of Will Graham as he pieces together a crime scene in such a gripping manner, and he takes on the role of the killer himself. I mean, it's just it's hard to watch because you like his character so much, and then all of a sudden you're transported to a scene in which we see him reenacting the crime. So he is actually doing the murder. Um, so I don't know, but it's. Those scenes are also really well executed. I love the way it's directed. In the first episode, I was a little worried about it. And I'm actually surprised we didn't get it in the season finale. But I think we didn't need it in the season finale. I think they use it when it's needed. So it's nice to know that they don't have sort of like a list where they have to check off everything that they have to do each and every single week. They only do what they need to do. Yeah, it's interesting how... The, the the season was structured in, in in the way of you know we get the pilot and then for a few episodes after the pilot and then sort of sprinkled throughout it is a procedural you know there is a serial killer of the week whether or not it's one we've met before 
And, you know, Will will say, this is my design, and we get the uh, metronome clock swing, you know what I mean, lightsaber. Pendulum, yes. <laughs> lightsaber pendulum thing, and he puts himself in. And, and, and it does get a little repetitive, but they found ways to mix up the rhythms here and there, and and by the end, by those last few episodes, the procedural aspect is basically gone. Well, and also just, I mean, to go back to what you were saying, Ricky, I think it's so very important that we see him in the role of the killer, right? If it's like in the episode where um, we meet Eddie Izzard's character and we then we, that's the episode where we get to see Will pushing out someone's eyes. It was hard to watch. All these different um, profiler kind of shows, there's always a character like this who gets into the mind of the serial killer, and sometimes they'll show him seeing through the serial killer's eyes in something like Millennium or the profiler or something like that. But I've never before really felt the cost, the damage that is being done to a character like Will Graham, you know, it, the way that they execute that, you know, if it's if it's hard for us to watch Will do this, what must it be like for Will to feel himself doing it? It's such an important choice for this discussion of violence and the cost of I, violence. Uh, I just wanted to quickly mention, I didn't realize until recently that Hugh Dancy and Claire Danes are married. Yeah, how about that and, couple? <laughs> and, you know, SNL, here's a freebie. How about have their characters do a crazy off? Yeah. But, but you know, can we just give Hugh Dancy an award? Because he's just fantastic. I mean, the show spends so much time in Will's point of view that the actor is required to express his emotions mostly without words. And he does a fantastic job. Uh, and, you know, you talked about that scene in which we get the reenactments of him killing the nurse and he gouges out her eyes and, he takes like sharp objects and pierces it through her body. I think that is still the most disturbing moment yet. Like we've seen some pretty terrible, twisted, horrible, you know, crimes throughout season one. But that sequence to me is the most disturbing because we see it in we, we see we see it in Will's point of view. Like we see Will actually killing the nurse, you know. So it, it's the same as the second last episode when he actually imagines himself killing Abigail Hobbs. Um, there, there's just something unique and twisted about taking your protagonist and the most likable person in a show and making him a killer. You know what I mean? Even though he's not, but, you know, technically he is when we're yeah. watching it visually. Well, and he also is in the sense that he does kill someone in the pilot. And as Kate mentioned uh, a couple podcasts ago, I think the most compelling aspect of the entire show is the way the entire season is predicated on the idea that he, I mean, obviously he's also sick for encephalitis, but, he, you know, Will, the, what kickstarts Will's, you know, general damage is the fact that he has taken a life and it has completely altered his existence, which is kind of a revolutionary idea for a police procedural. If you think about it, I mean, nearly every single one of these shows features, you know, like, Think about it, like David Caruso guns down a baddie. Yeah! And it's over. <laughs> puts the shades on and credits roll. Like, this is such a different environment. And, and if anything, they they may have exaggerated the degree to which this screws someone up. And if that's the case, I think that's a way more interesting direction. Well, you know, we, we Kate, you mentioned the fact that the series 
balances style and substance. Can we just talk about the credits, like the directors and the cinematographers that have worked on the show so far throughout season one? I mean, you got David Slade, who's best known for directing 31 Days of... Uh, what, what is it called? 30, 30 Days of Night, Hard Candy, and <clears throat> a Twilight movie. Right. Okay. So not the greatest director when it comes to movies, but, you know, he does know how to direct i think an episode of hannibal like uh, i i i just love the way it looks like visually but we also have peter medic who directed one of my favorite movies romeo's bleeding he also directed the changeling uh you got karim hussein who's a cinematographer for cinematographer for uh, hobo with a shotgun and he also shot antiviral we have michael reimer who's directed many many of the Battlestar Galactica episodes and the best Battlestar Galactica episodes another show we very much appreciate on the Televerse no I mean and, and David Slade you know he doesn't he doesn't write them like he he didn't write the Twilight movie I didn't see it so I don't know how good of a job he did directing it but if his work on several episodes including the premiere and the finale of uh, of Hannibal's any indication clearly he needs more interesting scripts to work with well, as a features he, director he, I think Slade is actually probably the most important person in terms of setting up the visual that in, in, in terms of setting up the visual style because the way that you know, the whole the whole show is very dark and has a very clear sense of atmosphere. You know, you can correct uh, you can connect that directly to the work he did on Awake. You know, they're very similar shows in, the, in in terms of the way they use a visual palette to tell a story and to give it you know some emotional weight. Right, but I think Guillermo Navarro, who's the cinematographer for Guillermo del Toro, who shot movies like Pan's Labyrinth and The Devil's Backbone and every single movie that del Toro ever directed, he directed three, if not four, episodes in season one. And I think he directed the best episodes. Like, I mean, Karim Hussein was a cinematographer for episode five, which never aired. It was the episode that featured Margot Kidder and the cult with, with kids. Um, no, it's uh, Molly Shannon. Um, Molly Whoa. Shannon. Sorry, Slightly Molly Shannon. Sad. I was just watching Superman. That's why I said <laughs> <laughs> totally different person. But yeah, I mean, he shot that episode. So. I mean, they have a really good crew working with them all season long, and I I can't wait to see who they get in the in the in the director's chair come season two. Well, and also you you alluded to Jose Andres uh, earlier. I probably pronounced his name wrong. Who is this hugely famous Spanish chef, very well well renowned and respected chef, who is in charge of you know all the consultation about the food. He obviously uh, Brian Fuller has. You know, he's picked really great people to surround himself with on this project from, you know, the writers and directors and cinematographers and chefs and, of course, the actors as well. And we haven't even talked about Mads yet, you know. <laughs> we, should, well, maybe maybe we should in. do that. <laughs> you know, the show is only named after him. I mean, I love that he, uh, I, first of all, how inspired was it that Fuller thought to cast Mads Mikkelsen after watching After the Wedding? I mean, you guys have seen, one of you has seen that movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's a romance. It's a romantic drama in which Mads Mikkelsen, in I believe Danish, plays the lead. It's a romantic lead. Like, there's, you could not get further away from anyone's concept of Hannibal Lecter. And yet Fuller watched that and thought he would be a good fit. And he absolutely is for this rendition of the character. And I think, I, I think I mentioned this last week. I absolutely love that Mickelson sees Lecter as being like this, almost like this old preternatural, like not supernatural, but like 
not quite of this earth Lucifer style evil. Like he's just, he is a beast of a different nature and he's not this cartoonish presence like Hopkins was, you know, he was doing a very different thing. There's no campiness. He's just, he's just, uh, he's not on the same playing field as the rest of us. And I, I, I think he's done a fantastic job. Yeah. It's funny. Cause in the first episode I was worried I like I wasn't sure if he would work, but I think he he's worked so far in season one. But come season two, and if the show continues on to season three and season four, it'll be interesting to see the transition and how he's going to become far more sinister and feel more like a threat. Because right now we're getting this odd bromance between him and Hugh Dancy, which totally works, and they themselves have great chemistry. But he's going to have to up the game come season two. And I'm really interested. I, I know he can do it. I mean, my favorite movie of the year so far is called The Hunt. And he stars in The Hunt. He's a fantastic actor. I think that's a really smart choice to to, to cast him. But I got to admit, when I first watched uh, the, the first episode, like the pilot, I was a little worried. I'm not a big fan of Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs. I much prefer Brian Cox in Manhunter. But uh, this is a completely different take on Hannibal. And even on the character Will Graham, I mean, the, the character Will Graham in this show is so completely different than even the character in the books. So, you know, it's good. It's good that they take, they take the source material, but they sort of twist it and make small changes. So it, they're, still, they're still loyal to the source material, but they're making necessary adjustments to make it better for their vision, what they want to bring to the small screen. So yeah. that's, that's well, a good thing. I, I gotta, I gotta rewind this a little bit though, because I, he's incredibly threatening. I find him 100% scary, threatening. Absolutely. I find this performance of Hannibal far more threatening and scary and terrifying and full of who knows what than, than Anthony Hopkins performance in silence of the lamb. Silence of the Lambs. I have not yet seen Manhunter. I do plan to catch up with that before the next season. But he's inscrutable and he he can do anything. I think it was I think it was good that we saw that one episode of him with where he actually does have a fight scene. Because I think it's it was good for us to see him as a physical force as well as just a psychological threat. When you're watching this season, you feel like you know where things are going, where Hannibal's at. He obviously, he does care about Will. And so you kind of feel like, oh no, Will's off limits. And then you watch as he, you know, hides the information about the encephalitis and he, you know, steers him towards, you know, he's like, oh, you're having a seizure. I really, you'll, you'll be fine. It doesn't matter. You you can't trust anything with this performance, with this Hannibal. And you have, I don't feel like I have any true way of understanding him. And that makes him, far more uh, threatening to me yeah he he seems not only like like he operates by a he, he has like he operates w w within a framework that for him is totally logical but for everyone else just can't it, there's no way of actually comprehending it and it makes him seem weirdly invincible no, and and I and I'm like I'm not saying that that the actor is not doing a good job. He's doing a fantastic job, but I only saw the Hannibal that I know from the book in the very last shot of season one. Like the image of Hannibal when he visits Will Graham and just the expression on his face, 
that to me represented pure evil. That because even like you know when he kills Abigail off screen, or we assume she died off screen, like he didn't just seem as menacing has in the very last shot of season one like i think he's gonna bring it to a, a whole new level come season two so if you think he's threatening in season one then i want to see what you think of him in season two because i think there's a lot more of his dark side that we still haven't seen which i'm excited for well i think he's way more interesting if he doesn't want to kill abigail but then does i, I you know if he has if she's kind of like a pet <laughs> for him and but then he decides oh well i'm going to kill you anyways i really wish i didn't have to but i'm going to hey we don't know that we're not going to find her in a pit in the second season putting the lotion in the basket <laughs> with the cochlear implants yeah um but uh and speaking of you know people that we up till now hadn't talked about i'm really curious to get everyone's take on not just julian anderson but specifically her last scene in oh, the finale. Love so, it. So uh, what, what's going on there, folks? <laughs> well, she's enjoying her some Abigail Hobbs. And uh, I, I, I loved that. I mean, I, I don't know how much she knows. I Again, inscrutable for, for her performance. I'm loving her performance. Um, such great casting to bring her in for this role. I, I think, obviously, she is aware that he is a serial killer. I don't think she necessarily knows that he is eating people um, and feeding them people. I don't know that she knows that she's eating Abigail. I think it works either way, actually. Um, but, but no, I, I, I mean, I think she's very, very knowledgeable of, of Hannibal at this point. Probably the most knowledgeable of anyone. Yeah, I don't think she knows that he's a cannibal, but it's clear that he she is eating Abigail. I mean, like yeah. there's a lot of confusion as to whether or not she's still alive or dead. No, she's dead. I she's mean, dead. there's a yeah. reason why they are eating veal, okay? He even <laughs> makes a reference to it. Uh, but you know what I'm a little disappointed with as much as I love the show? It's uh, we didn't get enough of Jack Crawford in the second half of the first season because we have one episode in which we – learn a lot about his personal life. I think it was way back in episode four and you get the reveal that his wife, Bella is dying of cancer and we get her the following week, I think on episode five or episode six, it was like two back to back episodes and that's it. We never get to see Bella again, which is too bad because I love Gina Torres. I think she's a fantastic actress. I love her in the role of Bella Crawford and I want to see more of Jack Crawford. So to me, that was a bit of a letdown. I also want to see more from the forensic experts, you know, like yes. the, his little like, yeah, like we need more of those people because they do bring in a lot of much needed humor because this is a really dark and grim TV show, you know, and I understand why a lot of people don't want to watch. it. I mean, you know, I talk to a lot of people I'm like, you should watch this show and they, they try it out. and They're like, I can't watch it because I won't be, be able to eat for like a week. I'm like, OK, are you kidding? This show makes me famished. What? No. I get so hungry when I watch this show. Whoa, you got I, I do not, but I, that's a common thing. I've heard that from many, many people. Yeah, I also agree 100% about Gina Torres. I was so excited. I thought she was fabulous in that up in those two episodes. I really liked the that, that casting, of course. I want to see more Gina Torres on my television all the time, but also just getting to see her work with uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Of course, they're married in real life. is an extra little bit of fun, and um, I was sort of expecting that we were going to see more of Jack's home life. Of course, we also got the flashback um, with Miriam Lass 
right? Um, Anna Klumski, uh, and great casting there, and she does such a fabulous job as well. So I was kind of expecting that we were going to get more with him, just like I expected we were getting more with Al- Alana. And then they kind of go by the wayside so that the show can focus in really intensely uh, on this this sort of decay of, of Will's mental state. Um, so I'm certainly hoping for, for more from all of the main cast uh, next next season. And I, I also, specifically with the, the trio, um, anybody who's giving the show a hard time for casting Scott Thompson is wrong, um, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, also, I really like the, the, the increased role of Beverly, um, uh, Haitian Park, Haitian Park, the, um, the, the, the one of the techs who does seem to have a closer relationship with Will. He calls her in when he's not sure if he killed someone uh, earlier in the season. And then we see that, that scene sort of mirrored in the finale as well. I think they've done a really good job of making these fully realized people. Yeah, I agree. Oh, but, yeah. but you know what's funny is that you say you want to eat after you watch Hannibal. I have to drink. I can't watch an episode without having a glass of wine. That is a necessity. <laughs> um, I, I'm just curious what people are looking forward to about next season. Because, I mean, he can twist and turn the plot of the of the Harris novels as much as he wants. But we all know that Will is not going to be in jail for the entirety of season two. If he manages to pull that off, I'll be impressed or really annoyed. But see, season two is clearly going to have to be Will coming out of prison. He's going to be on the hunt. He's going to be chasing down Hannibal Lecter. Season right. three, I assume he's going to be in prison and they're going to be going after uh, maybe the, the actually no, because season four is supposed to be Red Dragon, right? That's yeah. what he said. Well, wait, am I the only one who thinks that they don't necess- they don't need to have Will as the main character next season? It's entirely possible, but leave I, him in jail and make Jack the main character. Yeah, maybe. Um, but I think I think having Will at the center is still kind of the most compelling idea see but then how does next season work because uh, unless they backtrack from will knowing about hannibal i don't see how next season works well that's why we're not brian fuller and brian fuller is brian fuller he'll no, but you got to realize that one of the books and even like the movies hannibal is behind bars like in, mm-hmm. in the movie manhunter we get hannibal lecter for maybe one or two scenes and he's behind the bars so one season, and I believe it'll be season three, but maybe season four, they will catch him and he will be put in prison. And then Will's going to be using Hannibal to help him track down a serial killer. Yes, I see how season three works. I don't see how season two works, is what I'm saying. Well, it's got to work in a way where Will and Jack somehow work together, regardless if he's behind bars or not, to track down Hannibal and put him behind bars. But I don't, I don't know. know. Hannibal on the run? I don't know if that's is, you know, if following Hannibal while he's hiding out from the cops. I don't know that that is as interesting as more, you know, watching him bob and weave or, you know, does that are we do we feel like we've seen enough of that? I, I, I'm ready to not guess what they're going to do. All I was going to say is obviously at some point next season, Will gets sprung from jail. However, that happens. I'm looking forward to watching him reintegrate with his peers <laughs> After what's happened this season, I think it's going to be hilariously awkward. Well, we've heard um, talk or rumors, I guess, that Freddie Lowndes will feature next season in that she will believe Will and be working with him. But that leads me to believe he'll still he'll stay behind bar- bars for quite a while. 
I don't know. Yeah, awesome. Freddie, Freddie Lowndes is going to play a big part in season two. That I know because Brian Fowler said so in an interview. And I have to say that uh, I'm sure there was some balking at the time, but I thought that the gender swap with that character actually worked really nicely. Definitely. Well, you need women in your cast. And the, the, the two women in the central cast for this uh, we are, were in lab tech who was a creation, I believe, of this series, but then two characters who have shown up in the other properties, but both as men. Um, so, yes, Sydney becoming Alana and Freddie becoming Freddie was definitely the right call. Mm -hmm. I want to see if they can outdo the murders in season two, because I think the most elegant murder in season one, like by far the most surprising, probably the most brilliant was, uh, cello was the murder in which the killer exposes the victim's vocal cords to play them like a cello. Yes, I thought that was amazing. Um, shutter, I don't know. shutter. I would. I. You know what? I have a soft spot for the mushrooms in season in episode two. Uh, that was something else. Uh, but also, I just want to say the creepiest episode in general by far. I don't remember the name right now, but it's the 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 first Ellen Muth episode, uh, yes. which features her skin coming off of her arm and many, many other horrible sights and ends with that extremely creepy scene of the faceless Hannibal uh, showing up at the end. Everything about that episode gave me the goddamn creeps. Yeah. I sat down on a dark and stormy night to watch that with my sister and my dad. I was like, I know. Why don't we watch Hannibal? I know you haven't really seen very much of it, but it's so great and it's really stylishly done and there's violence, but they don't they don't really dwell they don't show in that it. much. <laughs> yeah, and it was freaking terrifying i was watching with my hands in front of my eyes and my my dad and my sister kept kate what are you making us watch I'm like, the other episodes haven't been like this i promise and i i just need to put you on the spot a little bit here kate because i i know this has been your stance in the past but if you've gotten through a season of hannibal there is absolutely no reason i can think of that you should not be watching season three of american horror story with me because this good. was so much scarier so much scarier Perhaps scarier. I have very interesting thresholds for these things, though. Um, uh, having seen gifts from the uh, from the second season involving uh, half mutilated women saying "kill me," uh, I don't need to see that. <laughs> One of the wonderful things about Hannibal is that they don't re they show dead bodies, and every now and again we see Will, you know, actually in the process of killing someone but for the most part we don't see violence violence is implied we don't um, see gore except you know for a couple except for when we see someone plunge their hand into some guts i mean come on there's nothing this that show was hasn't just shown some you. surgery that's yeah. the, the only thing honestly the only thing <laughs> left for them to, we even got a colombian necktie or two the, oh my the god that was thing, amazing the only thing left for them to do in season two that i can think of is blood eagling that's the only thing left. No. I, I, I looked that up after you told me about it. <laughs> I disabled picture search and yeah, wow. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know. We, do, we should actually wrap up here, though. In the theme of this recent part of the conversation, the most memorable image or sequence from the season from you, for you guys, and then also perhaps your favorite. Uh, it might not be the same. Ricky? I think the human monument of corpses is truly a sight to behold. I actually 
watched that episode, I think it was episode nine with, with my niece. And as soon as she saw the opening sequence, she's like, that's it. I'm going to stop watching. I'm watching it from the beginning. She went back and watched episode one all the way straight in like a day or two. I mean, just to see the totem pole of bodies in various stages of decay standing upon the beautiful West Virginia beach. I just love that moment. So that was by far my favorite image of the whole entire season. My favorite moment is the final shot of, of the finale, like when Hannibal Lecter visits Will Graham in prison. So I just, I don't know, that scene spoke volumes for both characters and just really harkened back to Silence of the Lambs and the books and Red Dragon. And there's a lot of great things. I mean, like I remember the the, the Red Washroom way back in episode one, which were called uh, The Washroom and The Shining. There's uh, an episode that features a scene which is reminiscent of the Buffalo Bill scene in Silence of the Lambs when he's working on his sewing machine. There's so many great moments, but... Yeah, the totem pole. Simon? Uh, I, I think I'm going to choose uh, two things, uh, just general favorites. The, the first is, I think, the dinner sequence in this last episode, which was just so wonderfully queasy and beautifully acted and written. Uh, the other thing that stood out was actually probably the last scene between uh, Jack and his wife, I think, was just so beautiful and so uh, just dealing with completely different stuff than the rest of the season, but still... Uh, being integrated nicely. And I, I agree with, with Rick, there should have been more with him or them. But, you know, she's also on Suits, right? So I'm assuming she's mm-hmm. got a busy schedule. Um, I'm going to go with Sequence. I, of course, it's a, a given, right? You could probably have guessed, but I loved that opera sequence. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I didn't care so much about starting within the vocal cords going out from there, but just, again, the spectacle of that, I thought it told us so much about Hannibal. It was wonderful to watch. And then, of course, tying that in as it continued afterwards with Ellen Green popping up. Love to see her come back on the show at some point in a similar kind of sequence. And um, as for image... There are so many options. I'm trying to, yeah, I think I just have to go to, again, that, the cello, or really bass, depending on the size, but I I guess I'm going to go with that visual as hitting a little close to home and really kicking things up a notch for me in my experience watching the show. Although I will say that featured one of the only annoying bits of dialogue of the entire show when one of the texts, I think, afterwards says, he played him like a violin. Well, no, played him like a cello. Come on. <laughs> well, do we have any final thoughts about the Hannibal finale or the season as a whole? I have no idea what they're going to do. I mean, I've I have some idea of what the whole show is going to do. How they're going to structure or tackle it next season is a mystery, I think, to everyone except for Brian Fuller. And I think that's just how it should be. I'm just going to disagree with one comment that Kate made earlier on. I would not watch season two if Hugh Dancy was not the, the focus of the season. Like, to me, the show works because of his character, first and foremost. And, I mean, everybody else is great. And, you know, from the, the rest of the cast, to the director, to the cinematographers, to the editors, and especially to the writers. But I don't know. I watch it because I just love Hugh Dancy's Will Graham. To me, he's my favorite character in television right now. So we need him in season two. Uh, I guess I'll just finish my th- final thought. Well, Two of them, of course, because I always have to mention the music. I really do enjoy the the, the design, the sound design um, for the for the underscoring. It's very present, like every element of the style of this show. But I, I still have really been enjoying it. 
it's can I just mention quickly? It's by far the most out there and experimental original scoring on any show right now. It 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 if anything, it expands on the sort of work that Breaking Bad's been doing and and takes it even further out. Uh yeah yeah definitely. And um my final thought, final final thought is I and I guess I'd be curious what you guys have to say with this, but it, to me it seems like. All of Brian Fuller's previous work has kind of been bringing him to this, this point, to this show. And I feel like Hannibal may be his best show. I love, I love Wonderfalls. I love Pushing Daisies. I pretty much love Dead Like Me. But, and I even like the Mockingbird Lane pilot. But I think, uh, I, I think really Hannibal must, is probably his best show. The so thing is, the, the thing is, and Hannibal may be technically a better show. I can't imagine re- like wanting to rewatch it though as much mm-hmm. as I would re- revisit Pushing Daisies or especially Wonderfalls, just because it's such a heavy watch. Certainly. And Ricky, have you seen any of his other work? Yeah, I've seen Pushing Daisies, but I think I would totally rewatch Hannibal because I think when we go back and we watch it for a second time, we're going to notice that a lot of things that we didn't notice the first time we watched it, because like I said, it, it all the pieces of the puzzle come together in the very final episode. And so we notice a lot of things like we noticed that Will standing in the very same spot in which he shot Hobbs. But I'm sure there is a lot that we didn't pick up on. So I would totally watch this season again, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Ricky, for coming on to break down Hannibal with us. Um, where can our listeners find you online? Oh, wow. They can find me on soundonsite.org or Twitter, soundonsite. Um, I basically just go on Twitter and plug everybody's articles. I don't really talk on Twitter, but yeah, you should follow me on Twitter because uh, I do plug everybody's articles, including the Televerse and all the TV reviews and whatnot. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.